You are listening to New England Dirt on Mountain Bike Radio. I got my tires creeping dirt, branches whipping my face. I'm going way too fast, but I ain't touching my brakes. Finger on the trigger shift, just swerving trees, catching the breeze as I wind on down these green and dirty trails. It's fat bike season, and that means it's time to go and visit my friends over at Papa Willie's Bike Shop, the official presenting sponsor for this winter's fat bike series right here on New England Dirt. Now, Papa Willie's has been in the bike business since the early 90s and now has locations in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Natick, Mass, and Back Bay Bicycles in Boston. They are the go-to spot for all things fat bike this winter with a great lineup of bikes and accessories from Salsa, Specialized, Cannondale, 45 North, Surly, Maxis, and many more. Now, in my opinion, the best thing about Papa Wheelies, though, it's not about the bikes. It's about the culture of that shop. When you're looking for a new bike shop, you need to know who's working on your bike, and you have to have a strong, trusting relationship with them. For me, it's like having a good doctor. And what I found at Papa Wheelies is a team of people who truly care about riding bikes. They work hard to make sure their customers feel at home in their shops and have all of their riding needs met. Plus, if you buy a mountain bike from them for over 2000 or more, they will buy you a one-year NIMBA membership. That's pretty sweet. So find out more online at papa-wheelies.com. Or if you're in the area, stop in, check out the shop, say hi. And of course, thank them for supporting New England Dirt. All right, so I want to tell you about another partnership that I'm working on with bikekits.com. First off, I interviewed Jen Doobie of Bike Kits back in episode three with the Green Woodlands Foundation. If you missed that episode, go back, check it out. It's a good one. Bikekits.com, that's bikekits, K-I-T-Z, is a new online resource for female cyclists of all ages and abilities that specializes in getting women into and directly involved with cycling, be it gravel, mountain, cyclocross, really anything. It's all done in a supportive, inclusive, and relaxed environment. Go check it out. So I'm going to be sitting down with Jen Doobie and her partner Jen Barden to discuss bike kits in further detail on January 26th at their first annual Women's Winter Retreat. It's aptly called Aquariana. Registration is now open for this unique three-day event with various activities focused on cleansing the mind, body, and soul for the new year. Hosted at the Pierce Inn in Etna, New Hampshire, there will be plenty of opportunity for riding, so bring your gravel or fat bike. Plus, there will be morning yoga, massage, meditation, great meals, dancing, and tons of fun. To learn more or to register, visit bikereg.com forward slash Aquariana. I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, welcome to the 10th episode of Doing With Dirt, the show that takes an in-depth look at all things riding bicycles on dirt right here in New England. I'm your host, Mountain Bike Ben. Today, I am joined by two very special guys, two people who have had a massive, massive amount to do in the mountain bike and dirt riding world, not only in New England, but it's safe to say pretty much across the globe as we look to keeping the rubber side down. And that is Ken Avery, Vice President of Marketing and Product for Vittoria North America, and Jody Stoddard, OEM Sales Manager for Vittoria North America. Ken and Jody both have a storied history in, cy- in the cycling inter- industry, growing up racing and competing at extremely high levels. 
um, from their days as a developer, Ken, and athlete, Jody, for the company that starts with M, Maxis. They've both transitioned now into leaders in tire development for the leading tire manufacturer in the world, Vittoria Tires. Guys, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Man, thank you so much for having us on here. This is awesome. Of course. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, so we're sitting here in, in Salem, Mass, at the one of two North America headquarters for Vittoria Tires, right? The yep. other one is in... Oklahoma City. So yes. yeah, so Salem, Mass is kind of our management office. And then in Oklahoma City, it's like our shipping hub. So everything everything that you get sent to a bike shop comes out of Oklahoma. Gotcha. All right. That's a good little uh, uh, distinction there. Yeah. Um, so, all right. We can't go too far without mentioning what just happened this past weekend. Um, and as I said before we started recording, when accolades are due, accolades need to be given. So, guys, phenomenal weekend. We're recording this on December 17th, just this past weekend. If you are paying attention to the race world at all in, 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 in the cycling world, was the Cyclocross Nationals. Vittoria won in the pro category the U23 category, the junior category, and master's category, correct? That is correct. Yeah, it was pretty much a, a, a huge weekend for Vittoria as a brand globally, but really also here in North America. Um, I mean, you know, obviously our road heritage goes back decades, but to come back, uh, to be New England-based with our office here, to have Cross have such deep roots here, to have a bunch of New Englanders actually go to nationals from here and kill it on tires that were designed here is really a dream. That's and awesome. it, it really was pretty special. That's very cool. So you guys have had a, a, an amazing portfolio of wins this past year. So Ken, do me a favor, just give the, the quick highlight reel oh, of Victoria Tires yep. podiums this year. So. The cool thing about Vittoria is that, you know, obviously we're known uh, in the road circles, but we've really, uh, especially the last five years, really made big headway on the dirt in all different disciplines. But, you know, to start in the road, every single Grand Tour time trial, team time, team time trial and individual time trial, and all the Grand Tours this year were won on Vittoria tires. <laughs> I mean, every single one of them. That's crazy. On the dirt, uh, I mean, we won European cross-country championships, Pan Am Championships, U23 Brazilian, Austrian, French, Russian, German. Uh, I mean, we got second in the U.S. Um, and then, you know, geez, just this past weekend, uh, Cyclocross really capped it off. So it really goes to show kind of the range of Vittoria. It's been, it's been a lot of, lot of things to juggle. Um, but, you know, globally, we're a brand that's, that's uh, hitting all segments. That's awesome. And hitting well. Yeah, at the top. Yeah. So I, I think you said a couple of things, and this really kind of leads to why I wanted to have both of you guys sitting here with me today, because you said it multiple times, tires design in New England, yeah. riders from New England, placing at high levels, not only in New England, but across the world. And it's like, all right, cool, this is New England dirt. I want to talk about all the cool things that are happening on dirt. You can't be on dirt if you're not on tires. And that's a huge piece is that, okay, we've got a tire manufacturer and a tire developer here in Massachusetts that's making things happen, that's been changing how we are able to control every single aspect of our bikes when they're yeah. sitting on the dirt. And that's awesome. I, it, I, I don't know if it really makes... 
I, I guess the the what I'm trying to say is it it, it is possibly the biggest difference maker in your bike. Mm. Yeah. what you're actually riding your wheels on. It's the number one upgrade. You know, it's the thing that connects you to your terrain. And no matter what terrain that is, um, you know, and, and that's what we try to test for. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, um, Vittoria as a brand, I mean, obviously we're an Italian company. Sure. Uh, we have a, an office um, just outside of Milan in a little town called Madone. Um, and, uh, and our manufacturing is in Bangkok, Thailand, which is home to a lot of tire industry. There's a lot of, uh, native rubber trees in Thailand. And so right, there's a lot right. of that kind of an industry over there. And, and, um, you know, I mean, um, it's something that, uh, has roots here in New England simply because, you know, we, we have an office here and, and, and coincidentally, we, we kind of happen to grow up around this area and all that. But truthfully, I mean, New England uh, as a connection is, is really interesting because we, we test everywhere all over the globe. I mean, like I said, Grand Tour road races, Spring Classics, all that stuff, World Cup mountain bike, World Cup cyclocross. Um, and, you know, obviously the tires are, are produced in Bangkok and we have, uh, you know, many engineers and, and, and technologists that are over there uh, all fighting for the same cause as we are. Um, but there definitely is a little spark that comes from this area. Mm-hmm. And it definitely has a lot to do with the seasons we have in New England uh, and the terrain we have here and how stubborn the people are here <laughs> and all sorts of things. No. Yeah, so I mean, it really kind of circles back. So enough variety, in other words, to be able to truly get a wide testing parameter? Is, mm-hmm. that, is that an easy Dude, way to yeah, summarize I mean, that? They say if you can ski in New England, you can ski anywhere, right? Yeah, right. And, and it's, I think the same is true mountain biking. Um, and, you know, um, I mean, we, our terrain right now is wet, slippery, frozen roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in the summertime, all that is exposed rocks and, and roots and that kind of terrain as well and loamy dirt. Um, that, you know, gives amazing traction when it does and nothing when it doesn't. Right. right so, right. I mean, you know, uh, the terrain here is something special. Jody, Jody and I, I mean, we've been riding for whatever, three decades in new England now, and he's somebody who, uh, definitely enjoys the technical side as well. All right. So go ahead, Jody. I definitely have to agree with the, the, uh, aspect of, you know, if you can ski here or ride here, you can ride pretty much anywhere. The, uh, the terrain we have is pretty unique and pretty varied. In fact, you know, we have uh, degrees of gravel road. We have, you know, different XC trails. We have rocks. We have root. We have loam. We have, you know, dry conditions. And, uh, you know, like Ken said, throughout the seasons, we have any testing condition you want. We right. pretty much have it here. So right. it's a pretty unique uh, place to, to develop things in, you know. Yeah, well, and grow up, and both of you guys grew up here too. So why, sure. why don't we let's 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 give a little background here. So um, you guys both grew up in New England. Ken, where did you grow up? I grew up in a little town called East Lyme, Connecticut. It's uh, sort of like just west of Mystic on the Connecticut shoreline. Oh, very cool. All right. Yeah, and uh, it's a it's a it's, you know a little suburban town, um, but for whatever reason, um, I was you know, lucky enough to stumble across, I realized I was 13 at the time and I was like a, in a skateboarding and, and like jumping my BMX bike. And I played regular sports too, but there's, there's this group of dudes who were like in their thirties at the time. And, uh, they all were mountain bikers and it was like the first real mountain bikes I'd really ever seen. And, um, they would all get together at my neighbor's house and ride from the house or like meet up there in their cars and drive to the trails or whatever. And around the same time, one of my skateboarding buddies, his name's Andrew Etter. Um, he is a super tall dude. 
And uh, he grew up like really young, really fast. And uh, his knees were like hurting from all our skateboarding we were doing. And uh, he, his doctor said, you got to get on a bike and put the skateboard down. And um, so he got the first mountain bike out of any of my friends. And I was like, oh my God, you can cover so much ground on this thing. It's so crazy. Uh, you know, the amount of time it'd take you to get someplace on a skateboard versus a bike was just nuts. And so, uh, I would take my, like, you know, my dad's old 10 speed in the woods with, with my buddy and we would try to ride around and then, um, you know, started kind of working towards getting a mountain bike. And eventually when I was able to get a mountain bike, um, that group of guys, uh, for whatever reason, took me under their wing and they kind of went by the, the same group of 30 year olds. Yeah. You, yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. And I was just like this little punk skateboarder kid who, you know, this, this group of guys took me in and they would bring me uh, to the trail and sometimes they'd bring my buddy Andrew to the trail and, and whatever. And, and we would start riding and that group of guys kind of were known as the Moosehopper gang. Cause there was like a little coffee shop called Moosehopper back then. And so it was like Walt Iwanaki <laughs> and Jeff Taylor and Bill Humphreys and, and that whole crew of dudes. And honestly, it completely changed my life because I got to see a couple things about this. I got to see cycling as a lifestyle. These guys were way out of high school and they were getting together to, to basically do a sport that was a lifestyle activity kind of a thing. And they had, you know, families and jobs and all that stuff. But um, and then, you know, the other thing was that you know, I just got to see other places. I mean, I started racing. There was a race, you know, next town over from me and um, and uh you know, I was able to do that first race and then, you know, continue on to, to the New England series and then to the Mount Snow World Cup, to the Hunter Mountain World Cup right. and, and all that stuff. And along that same time, there was two other kids who were pretty notable out of East Lyme. Um, one of them is uh, Tom Danielson, uh, who uh, went on to be a pretty uh, notable road racer, and Jeremy Powers, who's a four-time national cyclocross champion and, mm -hmm. and who actually just got fifth this past weekend. So Jeremy's still killing it. Um, and, uh, you know, Richard Fries used to always, uh, over the microphone at these races, be like, what's in the water with these juniors in East Lyme? And all, all jokes about Tom aside, um, you know, <laughs> he could climb back then. Um, so anyway, um, but, uh, you know, things happen in the cycling industry. But I'll tell you, um, you know, the, uh, the reality of it is uh, going to the Mount Snow National and World Cup, because at the time it was both a national and a World Cup. Mm -hmm. I got to see people like John Tomac and Tinker Juarez and Ned Overend and Greg Herbald. And, and uh, you were thick of it. I mean, this was the heyday, yeah. and I, I was a teenager with my eyes wide open. I have a number plate at home that is signed by, like, Insane Wayne and Greg Herbald. Wow. And, and it is, it's, like, literally on my office wall at home. And um, I have a map of the Repack Trail that Joe Breeze drew me. Wow. And it's, like, these, <laughs> these things where I'm, like, I cannot even believe, you know, and, and my friends who, like, are not mountain bikers are, like, who are these weird dudes who right, like right, idolize. Right. honestly though like i cannot i can't underscore it hard enough as a kid to see those people and it was such an impressionable time for me um and and it was something that i just never forgot i was like i want to do that you know i want to i want to be a better racer i want to get to as far as i can get doing that and then i want to be a part of you know making this more fun for everybody who finds it fun you know and that's essentially how how it all happened nice 
So I want to talk a little bit more about how you transition, but let's 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 give Jody a time here. Jody, you you've had a, a storied career in the, the the racing world as well. You started racing BMX in 1979. Is that what you just told me? I was going to leave the date out, but oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, so basically, I was a little kid. I grew up in in uh, West Groton, Mass. So okay. it's about an hour outside of outside sure. of Boston, and. Uh, you know, I was a little kid. I would every Sunday I'd go to the Pepperell Motocross track and oh, yeah. get my free hot dog and T-shirt. And my I was a little flag boy, you know, for the corner marshal type job. And, <laughs> and uh, it was free. I'd come home filthy enough and not to sit in the back of the pickup truck to go home. It was so dirty. <laughs> so, you know, back then there weren't as many people around. So my parents had to go a few towns over to go grocery shopping. And uh, this little tree farm had a uh, a sandwich board out front on the street that said, you know, bicycle motocross now open. My parents like what? bicycle motocross. What the hell? What the hell is this? You know, and uh, so they pulled in, and and the place was closed. Unfortunately, it was like a, it's like a, you know, bike shop slash snowmobile shop slash you know, uh, chainsaw sharpening place. <laughs> like, right, right. It, it pretty that fun. Yeah. To have a track in the back. That right? it had a bicycle motocross track. Yeah. <laughs> so my parents walked up to the fence and like peered over, and yeah, lo and behold, it was a, a miniature uh, motocross track made for bikes and. And back then, so my birthday was coming up shortly in the spring, or whatever, and and, and uh, I was due for a bike or something like that, and and uh, so they, you know, bought me a bike, and they spent like three hundred fifty dollars on this Kuahara, you know, this is pre pre ET Kuahara, you right. know, and uh, they're like we've never spent that much money on your brothers ever, yeah, you better like this. And I, you know, <laughs> I was like, no, no, this, it'll be great. And uh, you know, back then, just you had you everyone was a novice, and you had to get four first place trophies to turn expert, so. You know, that Saturday, uh, entered the novice class, and I was like nine years old, whatever, and uh, won my first race. Wow, nice. And I was like, oh, beginner's luck. I didn't, I was just having fun. I didn't know right. what that meant, you know. Right. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, the next Saturday came around, and, and uh, I won my second race. And then the, the uh, owner of the shop and, like, the you know, organizer was like, hey, your, your boy's kind of got a thing here. Like, what, where are you guys from? What do you do? He's like, oh, he just plays in the woods on his bike. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Like, well, where are you guys from? Oh, we just moved to Connecticut. We moved up from Connecticut, you know, four or five years ago. And uh, like, oh, we go down on down to Connecticut and Rhode Island. And there's like a whole, you know, all the families share each other's tracks. And we sort of just have the, like, friendly rivalry. And and uh, so, you know, Friday, we're going to go down to Rhode Island. You want to go? Oh, yeah, sure, no problem. So we went down. It was a Friday night race in Rhode Island. And uh, I won that race. <laughs> And then the next day, I turned expert. Nice. <laughs> so I turned expert in three weeks. So you did you did three <laughs> instead of four. Yeah, well, I just they just you're an expert. Yeah. You got you got to sandbag it at this point. So then you know, way fast forward, we traveled around the country. My parents took me out of school from you know Mondays and Fridays to race nationals, racing BMX, and bought a Winnebago and fond memories of doing homework and you know above the cab, mm-hmm. watching the the yellow lines go by, doing my homework or watching you know black and white. VHS tapes of motocross getting psyched up for it. That's and, awesome. uh, so we did that for a long time until my parents realized like, okay, you got to get a job and you got to do this yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I tried it two years out of my own pocket before I went to college, you know, art school, whatever. And I was like, oh, this is kind of expensive to travel around the country, you know, you know, super in a right. old Volkswagen. Anyway. So then, uh, found mountain biking and, and, you know, the Mount Snow National was coming up and I had just done cross country races here and there. It wasn't really, you know, no background of you know racing mountain bikes at all, and uh, oh, this downhill thing looks pretty cool. I'll try that. And I went up, and and uh, you know the the sport cl- course was 
uh, shorter. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to pay $45. I'm going <laughs> to get my money's <laughs> worth. Money's worth right. <laughs> so I just like signed up as expert. And uh, my first downhill bike was, uh, I think it was like a Y bike with a 135 stem and like, you know, a trimmed seat post lowered, whatever. Nice. With like a Judy on the front. And uh, I got second. And then I was like, the shop I was working at at the time was, uh, you know, was gracious enough to get, let me take the time off to race nationals. And, uh, yeah, I was second in the country expert in my age group and then semi-pro the next year. And, you know, sort of with the BMX thing, I, I realized that I had something to go, go right, with it, right. go with the, so my wife, uh, now wife and I uh, decided to move out to Colorado and, you know, I was living in Boulder for a couple of years, being closer to the West coast races and, mm-hmm. and, uh, raced semi-pro and, and did pretty well there and and uh Jurgen Benke was my sort of training partner along with the guy Stevenson a couple of their gotcha boulder boulderites you know and, right. and uh I was like no I you know, got you know guy was thinking I could turn pro and Jurgen was saying the same thing I was like no I, I think he need another year in semi and it's like and Jurgen threatened to not train with me if I <laughs> if I did another year of semi-pro so I turned pro and uh, pretty quickly and and then just did the circuit and yeah, that's fine. So, but New England are at root, so I, I moved back home and and uh, you know dealt with the flights. Yeah, it's just it's just nice to be back here. You know, nice. Yeah, nice. It's cool. So, how long were you pro for? Oh man, I think I turned pro in '98, something like that. So my first downhill race was '96. Okay. So it took me a couple of years. Mount to turn. Snow '96. Yeah, that was my first ever downhill race. That was, that's a funny one, actually. I remember going so fast I was, you know you know the experts raced in, in uh, the pro course at the, time, at the time we didn't have any separate courses and mm-hmm. i remember like bombing through these rods just like you know flying from like as top of the world i'm gonna win you this thing judy for all it was worth yeah he uses judy <laughs> the four-inch travel rear and y bike you know i was like this thing yeah yeah totally you know full quick releases and all that and uh i was flying telling you I me mean, i couldn't it's a fish story for everyone else but and then uh I see this yellow and turquoise streak fly past me on the outside, feet up, and disappear into the fog. And Kurt Forey's just like handed it to me. <laughs> I mean, I got off, the, I got the, down to the bottom. I was like, oh, I got a lot to learn. <laughs> so, but it was really weird, like you know, quickly progressing, and then like you can't idolize those guys if you're going to race them. You know, you just got to right. like, right. gotta take that away. I think Ken and I were talking about it at lunch. Actually, it's just funny. You get a different perspective. So. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, you go from from starry eyed to staring them down. Yeah, being in the gate next to them on yeah. slalom courses or whatever, you know. That's crazy. So and the downhill is obviously a, a clock thing, but that's right. all, all mental. But back when we were doing slalom before four cross, even you'd literally be in the gate next to these right guys next to them, yeah, full factory guys. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Same same time frame though. Yeah. So down. This is Ken. So downhill was funny because back then. I always call that when somebody goes, this is Ken. I always call that. You just conference called this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically, right? We do a lot of conference calls. Talking talk yeah. to Italy. But, you know, the thing about it is uh, downhill back in that era, uh, I mean, because I progressed from cross country up to downhill too, and, and it was the kind of thing where um, if you're not coming from like the roadside of cycling, like the idea of like training for cross country and all that can be a bit foreign. Right. And really at the end of the day, I was just a kid who like just hitting jumps and trying to get over logs and stuff like that. But like, um, the, the, the reason I bring up this at all is because, um, you know, 
that really proved to me as a rider, downhill racing at a high level, proved to me as a rider that um, you need to really trust your equipment. And, um, you know, we had a local shop called the Wayfarer who, who like put together like this little like junior team. And it was the first support I had ever gotten. And it was my first taste of like having that responsibility. Um, uh, the guy's name is Bob Harrington. And, and honestly, I can't thank that guy enough because he was the first guy to really like see something in this group of kids and trust them and to give them some responsibility in this way. And I, I think about that same kind of time and in, in that same scenario when we're designing products now, because at the end of the day, uh, you have to trust your equipment. Um, you know, you're, you're flying down mountains, um, you know, on a really small contact patch. And so there's a lot that goes into that and being a rider, um, you know, I can relate to, to what those needs are, but really it goes beyond just me and Jody. It, it goes, you know, to all our athletes, um, and to all the enthusiasts and in this day of social media, you get a lot of feedback from people from all different angles. Um, and it's super valuable to hear what people have to say, because at the end of the day, we take that and we put it into the next project and make it better. Um, and that's sort of how this whole thing has evolved quickly because of that. Nice. That's very cool. So how did you transition Ken from going and doing some cross country, dabbling mm-hmm. into downhill. Sure. How did you transition from that into developing tires? Yeah. So it this doesn't is, seem like it's a, like a, a seamless transition. Yeah, no. I, and you know, it's funny. It's a question that I get asked a lot because at the end of the day, like mountain biking is a passion for so many people. And they say, wait a minute, like this is like your job. And it's, I mean, <laughs> I don't just go out and ride wherever I want. I'm not like that. I mean, we're sitting in an office right now. Right. I mean, right. it's, it's a job, it's work. Um, But yeah, I mean, so back, so I started racing in 1991. um, And uh, back then, you know, um, pros uh, would often race cross country, downhill and dual slalom on the same bike. Um, And people, you know, and people, people were good enough to be able to kind of use the same bike for all different disciplines. And there really kind of was just, you know, that at the time. And, and there, it was, it was, there was some suspension, but not much. Like the first RS1 RockShock was kind of out, uh, the first Manitou. Um, but, I mean, you're talking about cantilever brakes, hardtails. Um, the first dual suspension bikes were, I mean, a joke compared to anything now. Um, but, um, you know, it was so I, most of the races that were around were cross-country races. Um, and I think Jody mentioned that earlier. You know, I mean, you basically, if you were a mountain bike racer, you were going to race cross country, which was, you know, typical like four or five mile lap. And you do a few laps depending on what class you're in and all that stuff. Um, And um, but uh, the biggest race of the year was always the Mount Snow National and World Cup Mm -hmm. in Vermont uh, if you're a New England person. And so that was the first time, like I said earlier, where I saw like these mountain bike celebrities and people from Europe coming over to ride here and all that stuff. And at that race, there was a dual slalom and there was a downhill. So the dual slaloms, you know, just like, it's just like ski racing. It's head to head parallel slalom courses and, and you do two runs and combined time and all that. And now in downhill, uh, at the time there was, you know, the pro class. Um, and then there were subcategories like in cross country, as far as age groups and all that. But in dual slalom, it was just open men's category and opens women's category. So I went there as a teenager thinking to myself, all right, let me sign up for this, and uh, which is hilarious. Um, now, the summer before, I had gotten ninth at a, a World Cup as a junior. And so, um, you know, I was 
full of piss and vinegar and I thought I was I was pretty cool uh, as a teenager and uh, we all did no <laughs> no but I, I was pretty unrealistic about it I think to be honest with you I, I, I look back and say to myself yeah anyway um, I don't know if I would get along with myself but anyway so all that said I went to this race and uh, that's, that's some introspective for you yeah no it's, it makes me think back a little bit I was an idiot but so the 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 reality of it is i remember going to that race and saying to myself wow these are like people who have traveled here from all over the world to race this still solemn i cannot even be- i was like shaking up there like i can't even believe that i'm here right now whatever one of the people that i met when i was walking in was a, a woman named kathy sessler who uh she is uh, sort of the the team manager of the Santa Cruz Syndicate team now. Okay. Um, and she was at the time the Masters World Champion in downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I remember walking up, and she was like, "Hey, I'm Kathy," and I'm like, "I know." <laughs> and uh, she was just super nice, and she is, and whatever. Um, and I was totally starstruck. Um, and um, anyway, that was like literally, it was like a hi goodbye kind of thing. And, uh, back then everybody had inner tubes. Mm-hmm. And, um, so in dual slalom, you'd lower your pressure to get a, more of a contact patch for a little bit more grip for these slalom turns. And so on my Bridgestone MB5, uh, I had my, my Richie megabytes on <laughs> and, uh, you know, whatever I, um, I took some air out and unfortunately I took a little too much air out and, uh, I ended up pinch flatting in practice. And, um, I was like, oh my God, I, I came all the way to Vermont, like this race, I'm going to miss my qualifiers. What am I going to do? And I need to go find an inner tube right now. So I'm walking down with a flat and she's like, Hey, you need a tube? And I'm like, yeah. And she gives me one. And I was like, oh my God, Kathy Sessler just gave me an inner tube. This is like, literally, <laughs> literally, but like, it was like one of those things where it's like the first taste of celebrity you get. And, and they give you something like that just out of the kindness, you know what I mean? It was unbelievable to me. And so I put my inner tube in and of course I don't qualify. (laughs) And yeah, totally. (laughs) Right. You know, uh, total Uncle Rico moment, but, um, could have won States. But so, uh, you know, anyway, after the race, um, you know, I made my dad drive me to a bike shop and bought an inner tube and went back to the venue and, and found Kathy Sessler and gave her the inner tube. And I said, she's like, what's this for? And I'm like, well, thank you for the inner tube you, you gave me earlier. And she's like, kid, I, I ride for a tire company. Like, you know, yeah, it's good, you know? And, and she's like, you know, you're a good kid. Like, well, what else are you doing this year? And I'm like, I might try to go to Mammoth to do the Kamikaze, uh, which was nationals that year. Yeah. And she's like, on your like velociraptors or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's what I got. And she's like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you some tires. And I was like, are you kidding me? And so she, what she sent me were the very first Maxis Helter Skelter tires. No kidding. And these were, you know, 80 durometer <laughs> plastic, you know, right. like horrible, but they were at the same time, it was like, you know, oh my God, I got a free set of tires and I'm a teenager and this is amazing. And I can't believe that, you know, this celebrity that I just met sent me these. And I was, I was like, what a turning point for me as a kid, you know? And I was so grateful, um, that I started like, uh, drawing pictures of tires in study hall. 
and I started um, drawing on these tires and I started trying to cut them with like razor blades and, and like wire cutters and things to try to like change the tread a little bit. And what I would do is I would take a Polaroid picture because hello, it was like 1994. Right. Um, and uh, I would fax this Polaroid picture to Kathy and she was kind of like, all right, what's your deal? <laughs> you know, like, 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 what kind of monster did I just make? Like, dude, <laughs> you are a nerd, right? And like kind of thing. And so, but at the end of the day, uh, for whatever reason, she sent them to Maxis. And there was a guy named Marcus Kreider who was running the Maxis uh, bike department at the time. And uh, she's like, he's a good kid. You know, send him some tires. And now at the time, like I said, I, I had had uh, some good results as a junior um, and, um, I was, you know, I was like second in New England and, and I had gotten ninth at that world cup and, and I was, I was hoping to kind of progress more and, and I would talk about mountain bikes to anybody who would listen, which, you know, I guess some, some things never change, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, Maxis sent me like, you know, a pallet of tires when I was like in high school and I was like, this is amazing, <laughs> you know? And I just had them like hanging in my parents' garage. I put like two hooks and like a bar up and, and, um, I was, that really just like sparked everything because I was so, so, so grateful that I just wanted to try to help them any way I can and give them any sort of feedback and tell anybody who would listen about Maxis. Now it's funny because at the time nobody had heard of them and they were just known as Chengshin Tire and it wasn't like a boutique brand and it wasn't anything anybody wanted to use. And so, um, you know, I progressed and I got upgraded to race semi pro and, and, you know, I got like a real contract from them and stuff. And, um, and then I got on a, a team called iron horse and, and iron horse was using, uh, Maxis tires and, and, uh, they, I believe were the first brand to really spec Maxis, uh, in the U S. Um, and, uh, so all of it kind of steamrolled and Marcus Crowder left Maxis and they hired a guy named Russell Webb. And Russell uh, became sort of a mentor to me um, in many ways. And uh, he was the marketing guy at Maxis when it boomed. And um, um, he said to me, I'm going to hire you when you get out of college. And I was like, sure you are. You know, wouldn't that be nice? But they did. Um, and uh, eventually I got out of school and um, I went through like the Winter X Games and all that stuff. And it was kind of silly made for TV thing. But, right. um, you know, it, it got me some notoriety. And, and uh, so eventually... Um, they hired me to, to run what they called racing development. So they liked that I had a UCI license, but they also liked that I had kind of gone to school and, and done that whole thing. So um, my job was to go on the circuit and ride with the, the riders during practice. And I would also do the race with them, but I would collect data during the practice. What are you running for pressures? What lines you taken? How can we improve this? All that stuff. And I was riding with Colin Bailey, John Cricaldi, like Eric Carter, Brian Lopes, all those people from back then who were rock stars. Um, and, uh, I'm lucky enough to still work with Hans Ray on Vittoria now. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things come full circle, but, um, through that, the very first tire that I was ever involved with was the Maxis Minion. Um, Colin Bailey, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the, with any tire project, you have an athlete who's kind of the key person and he was, uh, from Maxis tasked with, you know, developing a new downhill tire and Colin's a super creative guy and he's very talented and, and he had a lot of racing accolades far more than what I had. And, um, 
you know, so he brings a sketch and then I kind of change the sketch. Uh, we worked together and eventually uh, faxed it <laughs> back to Maxis from Utah. Uh, we were at uh, Deer Valley, Utah. Uh, when I sent that fax with kind of what the drawing that kind of mostly resembled what the minion became. Um, and um, yeah, and then they sent us prototypes. And ironically, the very first set of prototypes that I had, um, aside from my own, were given to Jody. Um, and who sits next to me right now. Right. And so, I mean, you want to talk about full circle, but I mean, it's really funny that the, the roots of our mountain bike program at Victoria now, uh, as far as where I come from and whatever, uh, my involvement were basically the last five minutes or so of this conversation. Um, clearly they're far more vast than that because Victoria is a, a global brand, you know, through GX, they won world championships, things like that. Um, but my little piece of this puzzle, that's kind of how that all happened. So the very first minions developed Mm -hmm. and you have a couple of prototypes in your quiver, a set for yourself and a set for the guy that's sitting to your right right now. Mm -hmm. Jody, what was your experience Cause I mean, you made the joke, you've heard of that, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, so you get handed these tires. What does that do for you? Cause I mean, again, we were talking about as Ken, as you put it earlier, the number one upgrade for your bike. What did that change for you? What did it do? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you know, basically most racers have some sort of connection, like Ken mentioned earlier with the, you know, a shop connection where you get a little bit of a discount on some tires. It's like, it's, it's huge, you mm-hmm. know, aside from getting free tubes from Cassie's Cassie but, <laughs> but uh, if you can get a, a discount on a tire that you're going to wear out in a weekend, that's a right. huge advantage. You know? Right. So you sort of value those things, you know, quite a bit. It, it means a lot. So to get something that isn't even on the market, you're like, what's that tire? Oh, I can't really tell you. <laughs> you know, right. it's not, it's not even like you feel special, but it, you just feel like you're part of the development process and you're sort of helping this thing go or not go you know it's it's a really interesting uh feeling and it's it really makes you pay attention to what that tire is doing like if, if they're asking for your opinion of if this is a good tire or a bad tire or what would you change what do you dislike like how are it's uh it just adds a little bit of weight to it mm-hmm. not physical weight obviously right, right but um you know gravity to it <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> or was it um yeah so it's 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 just that was sort of the foundation of it, I guess. And, yeah. you know, Ken had this, this thing going on with Maxis and he confided in me enough and valued my opinion as a racer to, to give him a solid feedback. Were you racing for Maxis at the time? I wasn't racing for them at the time. I don't believe it was out of the pocket type thing. Yeah. Cool. And, um, cause that never happens. I mean, you're never riding for another company and then using a different company's, uh, <laughs> well, it shouldn't happen. <laughs> no, it's, you know, that was, I was full on privateer for that point. And, yeah. uh, so that was sort of like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going nice. to test these tires out and do those things. And, and um, yeah, so I guess that's a segue into how we work together. Yeah, so as, as an accomplished rider, as somebody who has been there having this prototype handed to you and, and you know, to have that sort of, you know, uh, not to play up the puns again, but that weight or that gravity on your shoulders – how does that change your perspective on tires on a whole? Because I think a lot of riders take it for granted what they have on their, they're either running what came stock on the bike that they just bought off the showroom floor, or they're asking, you know, a whole bunch of friends or the salesperson at their local shop, what what tire should I put on my bike? Not really taking a step back and saying, 
what does the tire actually do for me? Right. Well, I think that's also what's, what, you know, part of the weight that that responsibility, I guess, if you want to call it responsibility is carries is you, you know, this, this thing is, is the last, you know, it's the last contact your bike has with the ground. You know, <laughs> most of the time, you know, you know, jumps are fun and all that, but, but no, so it really makes a, a big difference what you're, what you have to say about it, you know? And, uh, the, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think just knowing what the tire was designed for, where it was coming from, what it was supposed to do, it really made you sort of really dig into like, Hey, what's that sipe doing? What's that shape on the tread doing? Like, do these need to be bigger, smaller, mm-hmm. less of them, more of them, you know? It's a, it's, it really sort of changes your perspective when you get sort of that opportunity. Right. And, uh, yeah, there are some guys that take it, take advantage of that stuff and take it for granted, I guess I should say. And, uh, but it really, I took it as a, as an opportunity and, uh, you know, as I was grateful for the opportunity and sure. and really gave my honest opinion to it. So coming from New England, were you in, were you in Colorado at this point in time? No, 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 I, I was here. You were here still. Okay. Yep, living in Boston. As, as somebody who grew up in New England, racing in New England, now living back in New England, being an avid rider here, how has that shaped your sort of, cause I mean, you're the, you're the OEM sales manager for, for North America. You're the guy that's going out there and you're telling all the different shops and vendors and so forth. What, you know, what you guys have, what's, why is it performed this way? What is it good for? Who's who, which rider is this tire for all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. What, how has being a new Englander, a mountain biker rider, how has that sort of changed your outlook or I guess maybe informed your outlook on the tire and, and what it does for a rider down in, I mean, hell in, in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, it's a very good point. And actually, you know, we, we touched on it before where if you can ride here, you can ride anywhere, but b- racing the circuit, racing the Norman nationals, we would race in California at sure. mammoth where it's hard packed with essentially kitty litter on yep. top. Yep. That's one thing we don't have here in new England. But the tables were turned when those California guys came back east and raced Mount Sand and, and Mount Snow and, and Hunter and all those things. Like They weren't used to the mud and the roots and the things like that. So, right. so having that sort of diversity in the racing circuit helped as well. And then you, you, you can make that perspective. And you know, Ken does it when he designs it. And, and I can you know, sort of guide my customers to what might be good uh, as an overall tire. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays, you know, bikes are sold globally. So right, right. I guess the bikes that are ridden in uh, England, you know, the UK are probably most, most closely matched to the New England conditions. Sure. But, you know, pivots out of Arizona, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like they don't have any of this stuff, but they do have jagged rocks and loose dirt, things like that. So I think getting a, a better, a better sort of bird's eye perspective of what's going on is, is how it sort of pertains to my job. Gotcha. So we have, we have tires that are all rounders. We have specialist tires. We have, you know, whatever you want. And, and that's the thought you sort of find that balance Mm -hmm. because you're not selling the bike to one region. And, and I assume and I'm making a large, I think educated assumption here, stock bike on the floor is coming with an overall tire. Correct. I mean, it's something that's going to kind of perform in almost any kind of condition. I mean, there's not a tire that performs in every condition, but almost any type of condition for that bike to be specced with. Is that, is that a safe assumption? Yeah, for sure. And I think nowadays the, the product uh, managers are, are pretty savvy and they know, okay, this hardtail mountain bike is going to be ridden by a certain demographic. Sure. You know, and even the tire can change 
uh, per spec level too. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have like a, you know, like a G, again uh, taking into GX, consideration the person the end user purchasing that yep. bike. Yep, totally, yeah. absolutely. So, Ken, when you start, because you're still heavily involved in the development process of the tire right now for Vittoria. Yeah. And when you start kind of putting pen to paper here. Yep. And I kind of want to get to that base level. Sure. That overall tire that's going to be specced, or that <clears> is for the, do you want to even call 65, 70% of the market? What is that? And how, how do you go from... I need a tire that's going to perform in loose, in you know, mm-hmm. uh, medium, you know, maybe a little bit of hard, wh- whatever it happens to be. How do you go about doing that process? And I would actually say the exact same question to you: How is being from New England and your experience growing up racing, growing now having your own family here? How has that helped you sort of create those tires for that that individual that is looking for potentially the specialty tire? or the overall tire? A lot of questions there. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, I got it. Um, the, the cool thing about being from New England is that you have four real seasons. I mean, it is, you know, negative temps in the winter and it is 100 degrees in the summer and everything in between. And you can kind of actually find every kind of terrain here somewhere. You know what I mean? If you go looking for it. Um, as Jody mentioned earlier, there was people who would come and race in the Northeast from, you say, the Southwest or whatever, and they had never seen this type of terrain. And so... Sometimes, um, you know, designers um, can get in their own bubble, in their own head, but also just with their own experiences. And not to say I know anything or have any experience at all, but it's more about just like... <laughs> or to say you have a lot. <laughs> I know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying... I, I'm I li- saying that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, th- thank you for saying that. I mean, it, honestly, though, like, dude, I learn every day. I mean, I, I learn every time I ride. I look at something different. And that's the beauty of being in New England and, and riding with people who are passionate about it and getting that feedback from athletes. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is... Um, you have to kind of take those bits and pieces and think about what you're trying to conquer, right? So um, any product that you design, uh, especially with tires, you're, you know, you're designing it for a specific task. And sometimes it's at the expense of other characteristics, right? And so one of the things that we have sort of as a common thread through Vittoria is really like the no compromise approach, which is to say, we want to be able to accomplish the task at hand without having those trade-offs. Um, and that's really something that we've been able to do with, uh, a bunch of different technologies, which I can get into. Um, but also, you know, really just with the tread design itself, um, you know, you have to think about the kind of terrain you're trying to overcome. So an all arounder, uh, if you said, you know, this tire is an all arounder to the wrong person, they might say, oh, so you mean it's mediocre. Right. Right. Um, and in reality, you don't want that to be the perception, right? So you want it to basically roll as fast as possible without having a trade-off of, of, of losing traction in different kinds of terrains and things like that. Um, on the trail side, one such tire is called the Martello. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a tire that Adam Morse won the Eastern States Cup Enduro Series on in 2017 overall. Uh, it's the tire that Chris Boyce on Evil just won the Enduro Cup out west on this year. Um, and it's awesome because it's sort of like a moto block pattern as an example, just a great example of a tire. This is not a product pitch. This is just how we do this. Mm-hmm. So I was tasked with, Hey, can you make an Enduro tire? That's going to roll fast. That's going to have edges that grip. That's still going to hook up on roots and rocks, but not 
then roll slow because of that. And it was just like, okay, well, that's, that's a tall task, right? <laughs> How do you do that? Right, exactly. So one of the things is... That sounds like a uh, 20 pound of into a five pound bag. Totally, totally. Um, and, you know, one of those things is, is pro- the progressive sipe width. So a sipe is any sort of like a little groove or cut you see in the knob of a tire, right? And the idea Which behind... you're doing more and more of, I've noticed over the past couple of years, you're doing a lot yeah. of the siping. Yeah, 100%. And, and different depth too and things yeah. like that. So if you think about it, back in 20, 20 years ago, right? They started... Uh, companies in general started messing around with different performance compounds. And what would happen is you'd go into a corner and you'd want that that tire to be sticky. So they started using softer compounds, right? Well, the problem with that is, is that you need an edge to dig in like a cleat, right? Well, if it's too soft, it just folds over and then rips off. And a lot of the tires on the market still do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, by siping it, creatively in the tread design process, you can basically engineer some flex in one direction, but not the other or things like this, right? So like on the Martello itself, you'll see that there's three sipes on every knob, a small, bigger, and biggest. And the idea is that a bigger sipe flexes more than a small sipe. So like, for instance, in the center tread, you'll see on the leading edge, there's a small sipe. And that's basically so that when you're digging in to climb, it's still compliant, but it's only going to flex a little bit because it's a small sipe, right? But you hit your brakes on that and it's like an anchor because that big sipe on the back of that knob flexes full flex and digs right in and, and grips anything you're trying to grip. Huh, that's interesting. I would never have thought about it as being for braking mm-hmm. improvements. Yeah. So dude, watch this. Take that. Take that knob, turn it sideways, and look at the side knob. The inside effective oh, yeah, edge. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> the inside. The, whenever I give this demo to people, like a light bulb goes on, like just yeah, happened to you, sure. right? So now you understand progressive sipe width. So the inside effective edge has a bigger sipe. So that edge that's doing all the work is really nice and tacky and grippy. Mm-hmm. But to prevent it from flopping over, the the sipe progressed down to a smaller sipe on the outer edge of that side knob, so it doesn't actually just flop right over and, and paper clip off. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, it looks fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's killer. It rolls faster because of that, but it also lasts longer. And then there's a lot of compound things we're going to get into in just a minute, but we're right. talking about tread design right now. So, so how does siping improve being in New England? Yeah. Shedding. So, so there's a couple of things. So if you wanted a tire to shed mud well, right, you'd have a big open tread design, right? Mm-hmm. But then with that, you'd have like a lot of that like resistance in rolling because you'd be like thumpy rolling, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and the reason you do that uh, spacing is so that the mud clears out and then you have like a, a harder edge to grab. Um, but also, um, yeah, this one right here that you're picking up is called a Mota, which is sort of the sister tread of the Martello. Mm-hmm. It's basically a Martello that has more spacing, but it still has a progressive sipe width. Um, and, uh, so the trick is to basically sipe it in such a way that the knob flexes enough, but not too much. You want stability, but you want compliance, um, and get around that compromise. Another way is through a layering process in the compound called 4C. Mm-hmm. And so, which is unique to Vittoria, the correct technology. Yeah, yeah. Vittoria is the only company that has uh, a 4C machine. Um, and basically, what 4C is, is four unique compounds on the tire. And so, what we do is um, we, we use separate base and surface compounds. So the base of the knob will be a little bit more firm and the, and the top half of the knob or so will be a little softer. So that allows for the base to stay 
stable and doesn't flop over or rip off. It's more durable, all that stuff. But the rubber that hits the ground or the roots or the rocks or whatever is nice and gummy and compliant. Um, now that separate base and surface compound is that way in the center tread and on the side. So you got one, two, three, four, if you think about base and surface center and side, um, and then you put in the progressive sipe with, and then you put in graphene in the compound. Um, and that all that together is really, uh, the fuel that has, has pushed this whole fire to, to, to where it is now with Vittoria. I mean, the graphene revolution for us has been a mega, mega thing for our entire company. So, so talk into that a little bit, because I'm sure a lot of listeners right now have no idea what you're talking about with graphene. Yeah, sure. So, um, so graphene is basically uh, a substance that was isolated first in t- uh, 2004 by a couple scientists uh, named uh, Geim and, and uh, Novoselov, if, if it matters. But basically, they won a Nobel Prize for this technology. And uh, graphene in and of itself is, without going too far down the tech piece, is really just, uh, it's, it's essentially a two-dimensional substance it's it's one atom thick and so it's uh one of the thinnest it's the thinnest material known to man it's the lightest and the strongest and that's a big claim that's not our claim this is science (laughs) popular science magazine wrote an article about our tires because of this right but graphene is used in a lot of things like consumer electronics it's also used in the resin of carbon fiber uh if you buy a uh you know vittoria carano carbon wheel um, that wheel is going to be stiffer and yet still be more resilient to impacts uh, because of the graphene in the resin of the carbon fiber. Interesting. Which is usually you don't get those two things. Usually if it's stiffer and stronger, it's not going to be lighter. Usually right. if it's lighter, it's not going to be stronger, right. right? Same is true with the rubber compounds, right? So we were able to produce the fastest rolling road race tire ever produced. It's called the Corsa Speed TLR. And that's actually not our data. That is Wheel Energy in Finland, which is a third party... Uh, that does wheel uh, and, and tire rolling resistance. And um, so, yeah, that's been pretty cool. Um, it's enabled us on the mountain bike side and the gravel side and the cyclocross side um, to basically make tires that hook up yet still roll fast yet still last. Right. So yeah, sure. That. Any performance compound is going to wear out faster than a non-performance compound. And, and, and the same is true of ours, but it lasts long compared to what it would have been without the graphene in it. And so you can get a tire that, uh, you know, you can do your epic rides with and, and your super long, you know, whatever adventures. Um, and you can, you can hit a bunch of different varied terrain and, and still know that it's always going to hold up. You look at guys like Jeff Lenowski and Hans Ray. Those are two guys who are just probably the two most famous guys in the industry as far as doing like technical kind of, you know, trials types riding and mm-hmm. all that. And they both ride uh, Vittoria and uh, the Martello is uh, really the tire that they, you know, usually lean towards. Um, it's, uh, I, you know, I worked with both of those guys at Maxis. Right. Um, both of those guys helped me develop uh, our current compounds um, the evolution of our compounds, the evolution of our tread designs, um, how all that works. And, um, those guys in amongst, you know, the BMC team and, and all these other athletes, but Jeff and Hans are two guys that a lot of people know and they can relate to. And they see, um, Jeff, you know, especially now with his trail boss, uh, YouTube thing, he goes all over the world, rides all these different, you know, types of terrains. People dare him to ride these trails that are unrideable, you know, and, and Jeff's able to do it. Guess what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Jeff's probably going to win. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, but at the same time though, 
I mean, and, and I'm not trying to say this to spin it. I mean, that's what we design these products for. Mm-hmm. We want people on their own level to have that breakthrough, you know, like everybody's got that section of trailer where there's that one section where they, sometimes they make it or sometimes they've never made it. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if, if we can make a product that helps them get through that, that's a personal victory. And Vittoria as a word means victory in Italian. Right. I don't know if people knew that or not, but, but that's literally the meaning of the word Vittoria. And um, so it's not just about winning the Tour de France. It's not just about you know, winning a World Cup. It's about I won on my own trail Right. And, and I had a breakthrough in that way. And, and so I love what Jeff and Hans do for us. Uh, and, and just as people, they do so much for the industry and, sure. uh, for kids, uh, and for all that. And so to have them on our products, amazing, but truthfully, those guys like that and girls like that, we have a lot of female athletes. We have a whole like, you know, women's initiative within Victoria, which is awesome. Uh, everybody brings something different, but it all comes down to that moment where, dude, I can't believe I made the section. Check right. this out. Right. That's huge. Right. I've, had, I've definitely had some, uh, you know, people know I work for Victoria in my local trails and, hey, I just tried out this tire, that tire, mostly Martellos. I can't believe my grips on this corner. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like that rock. Oh my God. I cleaned all these sections. So it's not, it's not just for the pros. Right. You know, I think that all that technology does trickle down to the end user, which is sort of what we're all talking about really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's, it's, it's kind of makes you proud to know that you're a part of of that sort of thing when a person goes out, spends their hard money on the tire mm-hmm. and quite literally comes back and gives you a report. They don't have to, they can hate it, here's, but, they, here's, but they don't. <laughs> it's so really cool. We started talking about this past weekend and national cycle cross, yep. right? And, yep. and how well you guys did there. What's more important, how well you did there or how well you performed for that weekend warrior who just cleaned the section of trail behind their house for the very first time. It's kind of both, but it all comes down to, you know, the inspiration, um, for that person. And, you know, working with people like, uh, Katie Keogh and Stephen Hyde and, and, and Curtis White and, and Stu Thorne, who runs that program, that whole crew of people at Cannondale, um, those people inspire so many people. Um, and that watching that happen makes me want to be a better product designer. It makes me want to be a better, you know, uh, I don't know, writer myself, you know? And, and so, um, I think it, it's critical to have high end results because it shows the world what our tires are capable of. Sure. It gives you a better spotlight, right? Sure. But at the same time, the point is, um, not everybody's going to be that a uh, few people are. And I think a lot of people in the scene have have really almost forgotten that in a way. Mm. You know, back back I'm going to totally sound old. Back about it. Back in the 90s, right? <laughs> back when uh yeah, there's a lot of things were different. But I mean, my point is like it used to be like Fight Club. Oh, you ride mountain bikes? Oh, dude, let's go ride sometime. Like right. it was just like to find another mountain biker anyway in New England anyway was like that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, instant friends and whatever. And it's still that way. I'm not trying to say it's not, but I'm just trying to say that sometimes people with, you know, all their apps and all this running all the time when they're riding and, and all that, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to just, you know, having fun and, and, and bettering that situation, having more fun, mm-hmm. whatever fun means to you. If it means getting a KOM rock on, but at the same time to a lot of people, it just means kind of like getting through a section that they've never been able to get through and, and feeling gratified as a result. Right. And so all of that, 
racing and, and athletes and all of that come full circle and are a part of this because if you can play at the top level, if you can win World Cups, Katie Keogh won our first cyclocross World Cup this year riding the Torino uh, wet uh, model. And it was amazing to see that. Uh, and then Hyde wins nationals this weekend. So, you know, you see that that's super inspiring, right. but then you see people. Yeah. I did the land run 100, uh, gravel race in March, um, down in Oklahoma. And you know, that, that race in 10 years has a 40% finisher rate. And, um, so, you know, out of like, you know, whatever, a thousand people, I got like a 500th, you know what I mean? Like, but my point is I finished. And for me, dude, that was like a victory. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, and so many people have those stories and, and honestly, like as inspiring as it is to see those world cup people, um, I know so many people who are just so stoked to just go ride and, and, you know, spend their time doing that. That's awesome. Well, I mean, if the tire, if the tire gives you the confidence to, to clean that section or push harder, Mm-hmm. That's its entire job. Right. Or has lower rolling resistance that you don't even recognize. Yeah. You may not even. And now you're able to find yeah, yeah, yeah. that sentry Ab- under your belt, right? Or Absolutely. Anything that happens, right? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, that's very cool. And, and I think it kind of, it, it follows suit for what the goal with New England Dirt is, is that, I mean, you talk about KOMs or QOMs. We all have our own mm-hmm. is the way I would put it, right? And they're called PRs, if you want to call it that, right? right? If you want to be technical. But I think that if you are able to be the king of your own or the queen of your own mountain, wherever mountain that is, then you just had a great day. And at the end of it, that's what it's all about, right? And so the fact that you guys are making products that help somebody get that much closer to it, I can only see or only imagine how inspiring it can be for yourselves to know that you were a crucial part of somebody's experience. And as, as I've said multiple times in the podcast, you know, for a lot of us, this is a form of therapy. Totally. Whether it started as therapy for dealing with stuff as a kid, or it is now as, you know, the escape from the nine to five, whatever it happens to be, it's a form of therapy. And to be able to be a contributor to somebody's therapy must be absolutely amazing. It's weird that my therapy is someone else's therapy. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I don't know. Like, it means that you're in good company. Either that or I'm just surrounded by a bunch of crazy people like myself. But yeah, I think maybe both are true. I don't even know. But it is, it is hilarious. Uh, what's, what's really amazing uh, is that, um, you know, the, the company itself has recognized this and has, um, has backed it. You know, the, awesome. fa- the fact that... They were, they, Vittori could have chugged along making the best cotton road tires in the world. Right. And that's it. And really what they've, what they've enabled us to do, um, as a team, uh, globally is to say, we want to grow, we want to expand. Um, we want to, we want to solve this mountain bike thing. Uh, we want to get into gravel as it emerges. Mm -hmm. Um, gravel has been a really interesting place for us because it really merges, all of the casing technology and everything from all our drop bar background. Right. And then all the mountain bike technology on the tread and compound side. And you put that together. And, uh, I mean, I will put any of our products up against any other product on the market. I have no problem with that at all. And, and there's, there's no like, yeah, we, we know about this or that. It literally is each one exists for a reason. And in the right circumstance and the right terrain, it is the best product you can get. And, uh, I mean, you look at what happened over the weekend, I mean, case in point, right. right. But sure. I mean, um, on gravel, um, 
you know, we have tubeless and, and uh, tubeless models that, that are a uh, measure of 40. So it's 700 by 40. And then there's a 650 by 47 version of the Terreno dry and then a new zero model. Hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and, and again, each one is designed for a different circumstance. You know, the Terreno dry is uh, a modern take on what has been known as a file tread. So here, pick up this guy. Oh, yeah. You were so, showing me this before. This is really good, actually. I mean, it's like it's fish scales. Yeah. So basically, imagine this. That's what it looks like. And, and, and that's essentially what it comes down to. I, I, was, I was so inspired by the graphene structure, which is like the hex structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also um, just, you know, what, what riders demanded. So I was working with, uh, you know, guys like Adam Meyerson and Justin Ledine and all those dudes. Um, and then a bunch of women who are uh, top level uh, as well uh, in the cyclocross scene. And oftentimes they would ride what, what's known as a file tread. And a file tread to me is an inherent compromise because a file tread typically is micro diamond neural in the center and then some side knobs, right? Everybody's seen these tires. Um, the problem with just having a little micro diamond neural in the center and side knobs on the side is that the side knobs don't dig into pavement and the micro diamond neural doesn't actually doesn't grip anything. Right. right. So, uh, anything as you put it, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you hit your brakes, you hit your brakes and you slide. That, that's not what's supposed to happen. So, um, so to get around that, um, I, I basically was looking at just graphene, you know, molecular structure and it's this hex shape. And I thought, wow, it'd be cool to do interlocking hexes and then angle each one as a fish scale so that you have hundreds or thousands of little micro effective edges in the breaking and cornering direction. Right. However, in the rolling direction, it literally feels like a slick. Do you know what it reminds me of? And, and I hate to relate it back to skiing, but it's December and I've been skiing a yeah. lot already. Yeah. It reminds me of um, skins. Skins. Yeah. yeah it reminds totally. me of mole skins for yeah. uh, any skinning uphill that you would do. It's you, you literally run your finger across the, the scale and for, for, forgive me, Ken, what are you calling this again? Oh, the, the center tread. Yeah. We call them scales. scales uh, yeah. Right, the yeah. the micro diamond neural on, on the old style ones are basically just microscopic pyramids. Yeah. So they're symmetrical front to back. So any benefit you get in the rolling direction, you're going to lose in breaking, right? Yeah, sure. Whereas this is asymmetrical. A scale is a ramp in one direction. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, it, you have a uh, very, very limited rolling resistance, um, but you have full breaking, full cornering in the, uh, when you, when you run your finger across that tread, it's very apparent. Um, it's very cool. So the cool thing about that, though, is that uh, we were able to kind of, again, with the feedback of athletes and riders and enthusiasts, we were able to kind of design around that and produce something that was really revolutionary. And Victoria, as a company, said, you know what? This is going to be a, a nightmare to tool these molds. <laughs> and, and it is a nightmare to try to figure out how to make a 4C. But go back to the 4C thing really quickly, dude. That that forehead extruder is about 100 yards long, and they had to build a new building around it. Wow. I mean, that's the investment that they put into compound technology and all that. And, um, and graphene, like I said, I mean, they were pioneering that. So to put all of this behind this and then some silly idea that you draw on a napkin from an athlete in one weekend, <laughs> and, then, and then we translate this into CAD drawings, and then we translate this into uh, 3D prints. Uh, which are, you know, in front of you as well. Right. Um, and, and with that 3D print, you can snap it on a rim and say, okay, this is really what it's going to look like. You mm-hmm. pass that around to a few people, you get some sign-offs. And then, you know, a few months later, you win national championships. That's awesome. 
That's crazy. That is uh, entire development to production in a nutshell right there, huh? It's crazy. <laughs> From a napkin to a championship. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, no, it's very cool. And and I don't know if you remember this, Ken, or not, but you were talking briefly about the, you know, the the getting into gravel. You actually gave me my very first set of, at that yes. point, Monster Cross tires. Yeah, sure. Sure. And uh, for for a, a Franken bike that I was developing, my 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 dear yeah. love at yeah, Ramona, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, that was that was with GX, which is Back where yep. Vittoria MTB came from. Yeah, and you were psyched on these tires, which was the Moto One Point Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were small. Yeah, they were just over forty C in true measurement, and. Uh, you were psyched on them, and I was too because I've been looking for something that I could throw on a two-niner that I was building as a drop bar mm-hmm. as a monster cross slash before gravel bike was even coined at that point in time. Right. And, I mean, it's it's evident that, that your influence there has definitely gone, I mean, even that much further now with Vittoria and being able to influence there. So yeah, just to clarify, so GX used to be what Vittoria used to call their mountain bike line. And so they had Vittoria was all the road product. GX was their mountain bike line. And then in 2015, we folded that into Vittoria and just called it Vittoria mountain bike. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying, first of all, um, I mean, you're a great example of someone who, you know, had never seen the product and we gave you some to try, um, and you rode them for a very long time. Um, and you know, it was the first, probably first experience riding that, that product from, from this company, you know? And so, uh, that's a great example of kind of having people kind of open their minds up to trying some different stuff, uh, from companies that are doing different things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, as far as the evolution of the segment goes, it's interesting because gravel really for us has been a sweet spot and it's something that, uh, we hit, I think at the right time, uh, a lot of it was fueled through the feedback we got from cyclocross the last couple of years. Uh, so two years ago we launched the Terreno line and, uh, there's a dry, a mix and a wet version. And so we wanted to keep it simple so that people could understand, you know, which right. kind of scenario you want to use each in. Um, and then this past year we launched the Terreno zero, which is sort of like a road plus version. Um, and, uh, it is definitely something that you have a lot of like mountain bike influence on because it's hitting dirt. You're riding a road bike essentially on dirt. Um, there's been a lot of like John Tomac drop bar bike pictures from the eighties floating around because <laughs> it, it's hilarious. <laughs> like, you know, John Tomac's at a world cup with drop bars climbing a dirt road and people are like, it's gravel. And it's like, oh man, that's really funny. But it's true because like it really does come full circle in that way. Mountain biking has become so much more gnarly that the roads, you know, these dirt roads you're riding on, you can really actually ride on like a road bike that has a little wider tire and some disc brakes. And so we're taking all that, what we've learned and putting it back into this segment. Um, but it really is one of the hardest segments to design for because you have a very small contact patch and you're asking that very small contact patch to do a lot. Yeah. A lot of things. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I haven't even thought about it from that standpoint. Right. If, if you're like, Hey, you have like a, you know, a square centimeter and this thing has to break like an anchor, but have zero rolling resistance and, and corner in both directions and have zero rolling. Yeah. I mean, so like, good luck with that. It right. has to weigh nothing, right. whatever. So it's just, it, it's a joke, but it's uh, it's something that with all of the feedback from people like yourself and athletes and whoever it's been, something that we've been able to uh to put forward a line that has become um you know the standard Mm -hmm. yeah it's very cool so 
I mean, I want to talk a little bit about what's to come because as anybody who's been involved in riding bikes over the past couple decades can, can attest to, the wheel has been one of the most substantial changes on the bike mm. that we've seen. I mean, yes, you know, disc brakes, huge, right? Mm -hmm. Suspension designs and, and all the modifications and almost to now, I, you know, where it seems like we've gotten to the point where we've got really dialed suspension. Wheels have changed just as much, if not more, over that same time frame. And it's amazing to me to think that just because your wheel has gotten larger or smaller or it's been larger and then smaller or then it's been the rim width has grown substantially. Mm -hmm. I mean, even from a cross-country bike now, rim widths at being 28 millimeters wide is almost skinny at this point in time <laughs> it's on a cross-country bike. So that's done a lot. And I'm sure it's been challenging to stay on top of from a tire development mm -hmm. standpoint. How much has that, and this is a, a, an interesting question, how much of that has been fueled by the desire for better contact with the ground? So it's really a conversation about tires mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the wheel becoming the sort of impetus for the tires to be mounted to has had to change to compensate for that. So that's a super loaded question. So the, the, <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> right, right. Um, there, the, uh, there was one at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. ETRTO e is really, uh, it's the European tire and rim kind of standard, right? And that's, you'll see that term ETRTO thrown around a little bit. Um, and you'll see it like usually two digits dash three digits. And the first two digits are the ultimate width of the tire dash the wheel size. Mm. So, um, you know, the cool thing is, is that uh, I'm an optimist. And uh, so the cool thing in this is that, you know, Hey, all of a sudden, um, you know, there's all these gravel tires you can put on your 29 or mountain bike wheel set, these 650 plus, uh, road tires you can put on your 650 mountain bike. And that's, that's really cool in that way. There's a lot of like, you know, kind of overlap there. However, from a manufacturer standpoint, we manufacture wheels and tires. Right. Um, and all of a sudden there's boost and super boost and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like all these like plus rims that are now like, Hey, I got like a, you know, a 30 internal, a 35 internal, you know, how small of a tire, how big of a tire can I go? Bop, 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 bop. And so, and then, and then that doesn't even get into, uh, SRAM versus Shimano versus Campy drivers, 11 speed, 12 speed, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. Like, uh, it's, it's, Right. Center lock, six bolt. Totally. I mean, all that stuff, 12 mil, 15 mil front axles, like which one, like it's, it's something that I think ultimately I understand the, 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 the growing pains of evolution. And I'm just going to say it that way. That's okay. a wise way to say it. Sure. Um, but from a noob perspective, if you're noob to this whole thing, if you're somebody who doesn't get all this, you're going to be like, well, you're going to call somebody who, who knows. And unfortunately, like, well, it's actually great because I've met a lot of great people this way. But I go to, like, every, like, you know, school meeting I go to now. People are like, hey, <laughs> hey dude, I want to ride. Uh, what, what, what kind of wheels should I get? What kind of bike should I get? Do I need a plus? Do I need a – what is this boost plus thing? And I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. But I'll tell you what. It, it's gotten a lot of new people into it, and a lot of people have learned a lot of things. As far as, uh, you know, evolving the industry and performance go, mm. um, I will say this, uh, the bike industry is famous for taking something too far in an effort to look like an innovator. And so I think 
this year in particular, we've really kind of settled a bit, but you know, um, people start saying, oh, well, if 142 was good before and 148 is better, I'm going to go even bigger and right. that whole thing. Right. And then what happens is people dial it back and then they find a happy kind of balance point where it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you can produce anything you want very quickly and then claim to be the only one. And, and that's certainly been done in this industry as well. Right. Um, what we tend to do, and, and, you know, I said this to you before this whole show is that, I came to Vittoria uh, after leaving Maxis because I was interested in starting my own tire brand. Mm-hmm. And I knew that Vittoria had the best factory. It's called Lion Tire. And uh, they produce for many other brands. And I knew that if I was going to put my name on something, I wanted it to come out of this factory. And so, as it turns out, I called to, to see if I could have some some tires made. And, and they basically asked me if I wanted to work for him instead, which is lucky for me. But my point is the the whole point that I, I greatly believe in this product because of that. I mean, I, I believed in it before I worked here is my right, point. Right. Um, and, and the number one thing at Vittoria is, is that quality. And so, uh, oftentimes you'll see other brands, uh, undersized tires, they'll call it one size, but it really doesn't measure that size. And they do that because, Hey, it weighs less and they have to use less materials to produce it. So it costs them less and things like this. Um, you know, our tires are going to be more true to size. And the reason I say more true to size is because this is where it gets tricky with the rim thing. They're designed. Any mold you make is going to be designed around a certain internal rim width. And then people say, well, what if I put it on this or that? And of course, that's you're going to open the bead up or close the bead. It's going to change the width of the tire. Right. So you have to kind of take that into consideration before you go in forums and bash companies. Because at the end of the day, it was designed around a certain quote-unquote standard. Um, all that said... Um, the trend to have a little wider hub to triangulate your spokes better, the trend to have a wider rim to have a different tire profile are absolutely things that have improved the ride experience, which goes back to what we talked about earlier with personal victories and all that stuff. So uh, at the end of the day, it was a super long-winded way to say that. (laughs) Surprise. Um, But, you know, basically uh, that's kind of where it all kind of comes back to. Um, would Would you add anything to that? No, I think that story is long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll shut up now. I think I, it's definitely a good point where uh, even though, you know, the, the standards are so, somewhat in place, uh, people are still experimenting, you know? Sure. Like, like your monster cross bike. Like, hey, where can I take this thing? Mm-hmm. What can it do? Oh, it doesn't do that well. You know, I've, I've had bikes in the past where I bought them with grand visions of what I'm going to do with it. And then I start riding it like a, a, a different bike that I want it to be and like, Oh, this isn't quite what I was thinking it was going to be. Right. So then you explore other options and you go, you go the other way. You know, I think that's also where, you know, gravel and, and, uh, or all road, whatever you want to call it. I think that's, uh, sort of grown in popularity because the people are realizing that the more cars and the more car drivers with cell phones, you know, I'm going to go off where there's no cars. Right. And they're like, Oh, this is really fun. And it, it, tra- it attracts, road riders trying to escape cars mm-hmm. and then mountain bikers looking for either fitness or just more exercise or just exploring. So I think it's a, it's a, it uh, covers two different bases. Right. So I think those two sort of demographics get together and they start having a little, you know, talks over beer or coffee or whatever. And they like, Hey, what if we did this? What if we did that? And then, right. and then the industry gets wind of it and the industry tries to follow that conversation 
over beer and coffee or whatever. So it, it's a, it's exploratory at the very best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, with trying to keep up with it is the best thing. But like Ken <laughs> said, that, you know, they'll go, the pendulum will swing way too far. Mm-hmm. And it'll eventually settle back in the middle or, or a happy medium and, right. uh, and right. go from there. So, so along those lines, cause it is ever evolving. What's the next big thing in the tire world here? Um, I mean, I'm holding it in my hand right now, so I understand, but yeah, this wasn't <laughs> set up at all. No, I, um, yeah. uh, right. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I've seen on TV. Um, honestly, um, I wish I could tell you what the next big thing was going to be. Um, one thing that we found to be, um, popular, uh, this season has been, um, really, uh, this new airliner insert from Vittoria, uh, which is an insert that goes inside of a tubeless tire. And, uh, it has a groove on the top and a groove on the bottom. And, uh, basically the idea is that it works as like a bottom up bumper. So it cushions your tire against your rim on impact, but it also takes up air volume inside your tire so that, uh, your tire doesn't, rebound the same way and it doesn't really even compress the same way if you so think it about changes, it uh, effectively the dampening of the tire is that yeah you, you you could say it that way i mean um um it, it's certainly not a damper and it's not right. meant to be that um but at the same time um it's something that makes the tire feel completely different than it did before uh for very little weight penalty and it gives you a tremendous amount of protection so um Basically, when back back in the day when there was tubes in your tire, right, you'd run as low enough pressure as you could without pinching your tube, right? And that was like to say you'd run around, you know, 28 PSI or so before you'd really get down to a point where you were worried about pinching. And then tubeless became a thing. And that was great because you took the tube out, you saved a lot of weight, you had instant uh, thorn and, and, you know, kind of puncture sealing through the sealant of your tubeless, you know, tire. And that's great. But then it comes back to people running such low pressures and, and inherently bike tires need to be lightweight and thin and all that. So um, you were getting rim strikes that were actually puncturing through the tire or denting your rim or cracking a carbon rim. Right. Um, and all of these things were, were not acceptable. So everybody wanted the performance and the convenience of tubeless, but without that trade-off. And, um, you know, there's been this no compromise thread through this entire conversation. And this is just another one of those instances where, you know, this is made out of... Um, EVA foam, which is the same kind of foam like a running shoe is made out of, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, if you think about how many steps you take before you wear out a pair of running shoes, it's a lot. Um, and each one of those steps would be sort of like an impact on your on your tire. Um, so this product has uh, a useful life of about 2,000 hours, which is to say a thousand two-hour rides, which is, you know, whatever, almost three years of riding if you rode every day for two hours. Um, so it's compatible with any valve uh, on the market, so you don't have to change your valve or anything like that. Um, they come in four different widths, so there's a cross country through through like more of like a plus width. The cross country is the most interesting thing about this, and I think you ask about the future, and I really think that this is notable. 
Um, when you talk about tire liners to most people, they're going to be like, oh, this is an enduro or downhill product, right? They're going to say, I'm not going big enough. I'm not hitting stuff hard enough. I'm not, I'm not worried about it, right? When in reality, um, one of the more critical places to use this is actually in XC because your wheels are narrower and lighter and as are your tires, you have less suspension um, and ultimately you're still hitting stuff hard. You know, you're, you're, if you're going fast or trying to go fast, you are, right? right. So uh, I thought it was interesting that both the Austrian championship and uh, the Pan Am championship and then also the U23 Brazilian championship, all three of those races were won using an airliner in cross country. Huh. Yeah. So, um, it's, I think you're going to see that a lot more in in the future where, uh, and the cool thing is, is that it doesn't fill up just to be clear. It doesn't fill up your whole tire. It fills up about two thirds of the air volume in your tire. So you still have a very natural feeling air pocket until your tire compresses more than you would want it to compress anyway. And it, it engages the airliner and that starts compressing in a very progressive way. So it feels like suspension ramp up. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, inside your tire. So it's funny, like uh, I have a bunch of slow-mo video and stuff of testing this with just like smacking hard edge stuff with uh, the front wheel has no airline or the back wheel does. And the front wheel completely bottoms out, smacks the rim. The back wheel compresses like 50% and it's totally controlled rebound. Um, things like That's that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, you know, I live in New Hampshire, the granite state. And so, you know, I have like <laughs> six granite stairs that go up to my front and like, I'll just wheelie into them and it's like, gah, 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 right up them. And it, you never cut a tire or a smack a rim or anything. Huh. It's, it feels like you're, you're just floating. It's, it's definitely like a soft thump versus like a crack feel, you know right. what I mean? Right. So, um, that it's, it's not dissimilar to like a token in your fork speaking to the mountain bikers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So sure. you can control the, the right. ramp up of, right. the, of the impact or ramp down of the impact, I suppose, you know, it basically controls that last, huh, last section by when it collapses completely. So let's talk about the application right now. Cause we mm-hmm. haven't really talked about the fact that it is pretty much fat bike season now in new England. Sure. Yeah. And one of the major things that people deal with on a fat bike when they first get it is, you know, feeling like you're on balloons, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're pogoing all over the place and you're on a fully rigid bike more often than not. So pogoing is something that you're not really used to. You don't know how to control that, right? Mm-hmm. It's a rebound setting on your suspension usually to be able to control that and compression. You don't have that with a tire. So what you're saying is that with airliners, how effectively can you then change your sort of ride characteristic of this massive balloon (laughs) that is attached to your bike? That's a great question. Um, So basically, um, you know, to take this to a more extreme example, I mean, you know, a lot of people get on a plus bike and then they go try to rip through a trail and they're like, I I love all the traction, but at speed, it feels very like shaky because the tire flops around. Right. And, and definitely on a fat bike, you can kind of get that same sensation. Um, if you ever flat a fat bike, um, it's just, you know, a super big pain. Um, (laughs) I was going to say good luck. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so the cool thing about airliner, number one is you can ride it as a run flat. Uh, cause it, cause it helps make sense. Yeah. It helps lock your beads on. Mm -hmm. So it's the kind of thing that's going to protect your rim as well. 
it, your biggest concern when you're running a flat. A hundred percent right. Yeah. Totally right. So it protects your rim. It protects your tire. If you, if, if you get a flat because of like a cut in your tire, for instance, or something like that, like, you know, you, you, you went along and you hit a sharp rock, uh, and, and you skimmed it on the sidewall and it cut your sidewall or something. Uh, you can run this as a run flat. Uh, that, that very thing happened to Adam Morris at an Enduro world series race in Chile, uh, this past spring. And he rode for like another three minutes on the airliner, uh, <laughs> down an EWS course. I mean, world, you know, world series enduro course. And, and, uh, killed it. So, but my point is, is that for, for the fat bikers out there, for the guys who are riding plus tires out there. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely going to make your tire rebound differently. Uh, it's going to prevent a harsh rim strike and it's going to give you the option of a run flat in case you incur that. So, uh, especially dude, in the middle of the snow, you're like freezing and doing all that stuff and whatever. So, um, and lastly, I mean, you know, if you have a tire that's that big and, and you're running it, you have to run it tubeless to run an airliner. Um, burping is something that, you know, is always a concern. And this mm-hmm. definitely reduces that as well because it feeds, it fills your entire, it fills your entire, uh, bead belly, like in your rim. Um, and, and you, it's made so that you, you put it on as tight as possible. This actually doesn't come in a hoop. It comes as a length and you cut right. it. Cut it to um, length, yeah. Yeah, you cut it to length so that you make it and then you zip tie it and tape it. And you do this to be as tight as possible. If we made hoops, it would be tight on some rims and loose on other rims. Right. So the reason we did it this way intentionally was so that you can make it as tight as possible. Hmm. Um, you can even, you know, Ken specifically has played with a, you know, the XC size using the XC size in like an enduro or trail casing so you can really even tune it with a different size interesting airliner huh. so you know to the to the size it'll sit in the pocket where the rim bed is and where the the hook bead of the tire is so it works like a little rim bead locker like on a truck or something right but you can also it's not so rigid that you can't stretch it to get the tire on so it's really not much more difficult than putting one of those old school tubes in yeah yeah, yeah. huh those? yeah <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> right <laughs> but that's really cool that's so it sounds like this is going to be that sort of, I don't want to say, you know, solver to the fact that you still get snake bites, even though you're running a tubeless setup, as you said, you mm-hmm. still, you know, you, yeah. you get that pinch between your tire and the rim and all of a sudden it's a snake bite again. Um, you know, the pinch flat that you still get, in other words, from a, from, from a tubeless setup, but then to be able to run flat to be able to control a little bit more of the properties of the tire itself as it is rolling over any kind of obstacle, whether it's square right. edge or it's off of a drop or something like that. Sounds like this is the next thing. I mean, I, I now want to go and pick up a set. For yeah, maybe we, we can organize that. <laughs> I mean, here's the deal for people who are listening. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like round and cross section. Um, kind of almost looks like the Wu-Tang symbol anyway, but, uh, so which is for the children. Yeah. Which is for the children. So yeah, (laughs) but basically like, uh, the cool thing about that is, is that, um, you know, it sits right on your rim and, and so it sits right between your tire beads. So it's going to kind of like push those tire beads out into your rim and, and resist that burping feel. You know what I mean? So when you, when you go like into a, a really square, like sharp bermed corner, and, and you're, and you're waiting for your tire to kind of burp it, it prevents that, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, uh, the, the characteristic that Jody was talking about before about tuning it, um, it's, it's sort of like a token. It, it, we joked initially about calling this tire token. Um, but we thought it was, it was, too, it was too techy, too techy, too dorky. Um, so airliner kind of, you know, made, 
made the cut for that reason. Um, but we see it with people racing, you know, uh, enduro, um, e-bikes have been a big thing with this because, um, you know, you don't want to have to like disassemble your whole back wheel on that setup. Uh, I know that's taboo, but it's something that, you know, has applications there. Um, I'm just going to say we're testing it in other applications and leave it at that. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. So where can people find out more information about Vittoria and all of the different tires that you're doing, both from a website, but also social? Because you said that you've got a lot of videos that you're putting out there. Yeah. Where can people find out more information? Uh, Vittoria.com is the best place. Uh, definitely uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, all of that is done right out of the Salem office. Um, we have a, a marketing team here who handles all of that. Um, and, um, you know, so it's it really is something that, um, you know, all happens right here. But globally, uh, Victoria.com is is a great place. A, a lot of times the, the latest news will be right up on that that front page. And Instagram always has cool stories from, from riders or different athletes. We just did a big interview with Reggie Miller, NBA oh, star. Um, he's a big mountain biker. He chooses Victoria. Oh, nice. And, That's cool. Oh my God. It's on, this is a true story. As a side note, this is hilarious, dude. I was landing, uh, on a plane, you know, like it's some, I don't even know where I was. I was coming back from somewhere and John Emery, uh, texts me. He's like, dude, I was at a race and Reggie Miller was on your tires. And I'm like, I'm like, is, I'm like, is that that guy? And like, literally I'm like, that, nah, I can't. And I went on Instagram and found like pictures of him. And I'm like, what? And so like I pre- private message Reggie Miller and I'm like, good luck with that. Right. Like it's like, he was the dream team, you know, NBA player, like, right. So, uh, and, and, uh, I'm like, Hey man, I can't believe you're riding these products. It's so amazing. Uh, whatever. I never thought you would get it. And in like 30 seconds writes me back best in the industry. Love them. And I was like, what wow. dude? Wow. And I was like, and, and so I was like, literally like, <laughs> is this like the real person? It was like another total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but honest to God truth. Um, he's just such a huge, um, mountain bike fan and he's been somebody who now is testing for us. So I send him tires and he wow. tests and, and, and it's a different perspective, you know? And, and, uh, he's, you know, obviously one of the best basketball players has ever lived, but as a mountain biker, he's kind of fresh and uh-huh. and as somebody who is is creating his own version of whatever that win is you know right, what i mean and right. and um so that's been a cool story too but that all happens on our instagram channel and um so definitely check that out follow us there um and then obviously all the product stuff is on our website yeah very cool well ken jody guys thank you so much for taking the time this was awesome um, it inspires me to go out today and get another KOM for myself. So, um, I appreciate the work that you guys are doing and all the fun that you are allowing the rest of us to have out there every single day. So thank you very much. And I appreciate your time. Thanks for having us on, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Fun. And listeners, thanks for tuning in again to another episode of new England dirt. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you have any suggestions, comments, feedback, you know, the drill, you can shoot me an email N E dirt at mountainbikeradio.com or hit me up on Instagram. It's MTB BEN 603. I'd love to hear from you. The feedback that you guys send is always awesome. Um, and again, this is a, this is a podcast for the community. So more, more that you chime in, the more that you let your voice be heard, the better this thing's going to be for all of us. So Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. I got my tires creeping dirt, 
she's whipping my face I'm going way too fast But I ain't touching my brakes Finger on the trigger shift Just swerving trees, catching the breeze As I wind on down these green and dirty trails Mountain bike radio.